Thank you, Marcy. All right. Pastor Scott is currently in Minneapolis. He's attending a funeral. So if you guys uh, think about him this coming week as he's on vacation, uh, please pray for him and his family. Um, But yeah, so you got me today instead. But um, I want want to talk to you guys about, about superheroes a little bit. Okay. When I was 14, I, uh, <clears throat> I attended a friend's birthday party, and the movie Batman Begins had just come out. Um, and I loved it. I love Batman Begins. This is a great movie. Um, you guys should watch it if you get a chance. But um, in that movie, there's a scene where Batman's on a rooftop, and he saves the, uh, the love interest in, in the movie, Rachel. And uh, he's about to jump off the rooftop, right? And he, <clears throat> as he's about to jump off... Um, she asks him, you know, who, who are you? What, you know, what happens if, so, if something happens to you? Someone needs to know what, who you are, or, you know, recognize you or whatever. And he, he turns around and he says, it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. And that's always stuck with me. That's always made me question, what exactly makes a hero? So I, th- I think there's two things that define a hero. Number one, extraordinary deeds, right? You've got Batman doing amazing things. But on top of that, there's also a strong moral code. Batman has his one rule. Do any of you guys know what his one rule is? His one rule is that he won't kill anyone. That's it. So if you ever watch the series, the whole, the whole series, people keep trying to make him break his rule, always trying to push him to, to break that rule, but he never does. So that's what I, I think really defines a hero. But I want to talk about someone who lots of times gets lumped in with the Bible heroes, um, but I don't know if he necessarily should be. And his name is Samson. All right. So please turn with me to Judges 13, um, and we're going to we're going to read through his life, kind of talk through his characteristics and who he is. The book of Judges follows just after Joshua. Um, Joshua was the Lord. I don't want to say Lord, uh, commander of Israel right after Moses dies. He's the leader. And at the end of Joshua's life, after they conquer Israel, after they split everything up, he comes together with Israel and he sits them down and says, hey, if you guys don't follow Yahweh, the God, the only God, then bad things are going to happen. He challenges them to follow him. And then we have that iconic verse at the end of Joshua, right? For me and my house, we will follow the Lord. And for a little while, they do that, right? But something happens um, two generations in. So Joshua's grandchildren. And a cycle begins, okay? And this is the, the, cycle, the main cycle of Judges, all right? <clears throat> the cycle starts out with sin. The nation of Israel sins against God. They start worshiping the Baals, other false gods, other idols. And as they do that, um, God allows them to be enslaved. They become slaves to a different nation. Sometimes it's Midian, sometimes it's Canaan, sometimes it's um, the Philistines. But over and over again, this happens. So they cry out to God. They, They supplicate to God, asking him for deliverance. And so God delivers them. He sends a judge. So you got Ehud and Gideon and Deborah. And until that judge dies, there's peace in the land. There's silence. 
and then sin starts over again. Now, the judges, none of them are exactly perfect. There's always something a little bit wrong with them. Um, Gideon, even though he has this huge military victory, he, at the end of his life, decides to make his own idol and has people worship it, which, you know, it's kind of a a bad ending to a good guy, right? Um, And then you've got Jephthah. Jephthah's kind of, he's an outcast. He's he's a cool judge, but he's an outcast. And before the battle with, um, I believe he's with the Canaanites, before the battle with the Canaanites, he says, God, if you deliver the Canaanites into my hand, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my tent. Seems like a great idea, right? Yeah. The first thing that comes out of his tent, you're thinking it's going to be a goat or something like that? No, it's his daughter. Okay? Um, Some people think that he sacrificed her. Some people think that she just kind of never married and never had kids. But that's what happened with Jephthah. So then finally, as we get to the end of the book, we get to Samson. All right? And Samson is at a time when the Philistines are the the main enemy. Um, So read with me in... See if I can keep my papers on here. Um, Judges 13, um, and we will we will start there. So Judges 13, verse 1. All right. So this is of the NIV, so it'll be the same as the Pew Bibles. But Judges 13, 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for forty years. So the Philistines are a warlike people. They're known as the Sea People. If you ever read like anything about Egyptian history, the Philistines are known as the Sea People. And they, um, the Philistines, end up settling along the coast in the present-day Gaza Strip, that kind of thing. And they're a smart people. They have great technology. Um, in the United Kingdom, they are like 40 years of he- ahead of Israel as far as iron. So during the time of David and Saul and Solomon, they always are a little bit ahead of the Israelites, which is not the best thing when you're you know, using bronze versus iron. Um, not great. But at this time, they rise up, they, they worship the Baals, so they worship idols, and they hold all these cities along the coast in the southwest of Israel. And um, so they, they hold the land kind of down in the south um, for 40 years. Let's continue reading. Verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So an angel appears to her, to Manoah's wife, which we never know her name, which I think is kind of funny. It's just like, what? It's just Manoah's wife. But, um, so they, they, um, or the angel shows up to, to this woman and says that you're going to have a Nazarite. The Nazarites were a group of people that were separate from Israel. They were set apart. They were holy um, to God alone. And they had three rules. Number one, you couldn't drink anything fermented. No alcohol. So I don't know how well they would do in present-day Wisconsin. But no alcohol. Number two, you couldn't touch anything that was unclean. So that means no bacon, no pig, 
No dead bodies, right? Not, wouldn't do very well in Wisconsin. And finally, you could never cut your hair. All right? Usually, if you read um, Numbers uh, 6, Numbers 6 kind of outlines what the Nazarites are supposed to do. But in Numbers 6, it talks about the fact that you have to hold this for as long as you're keeping that vow. So it was kind of a time period thing. It wasn't a thing that you did your whole life usually, except in these specific times when certain people did it. But if you broke any of these rules, you had to shave your head and start over the entire time. So it was, it was a big deal. You had to keep this. It was a big deal. So that's what the angel of the Lord says to uh, Manoah's wife. Now, Manoah's not here. Manoah, Manoah's wife comes to him and tells him, hey, this angel of the Lord told me that this is what's going to happen. So Manoah goes and he prays. He says, God, could you please send back the angel of the Lord so I can learn how to teach my son. So he shows up again. And again, Manoah's not there. But Manoah's wife runs and gets him. So he comes back. The angel of the Lord again goes through everything. Don't drink wine. Don't cut his hair. Don't touch anything unclean. And then he says, hey, would you be willing to stay? Can I, like, can I kill a goat for you and we have a meal and all this stuff? And he said, the angel said, no, I... I don't need to eat anything, but if you want to sacrifice to the Lord, that would be great. That would be awesome. So he starts doing that, and at the same time, Manoah asks him, hey, what's your name? So this is where it gets a little interesting. He asks him, what is your name? Um, Verse 17, Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Other translations say, it is wonderful. Okay? That's kind of our first hint that the angel of the Lord is a little bit of a different person than just an angel. Okay? Usually angels will at least give their name. And that he gives the name, it is wonderful or beyond understanding, is very similar to Jacob's encounter with the angel of the Lord where he wrestles him all night. But we'll, we'll see even more that this isn't just a normal angel. So they sacrifice the, the, the goat. And when they sacrifice the goat, the angel of the Lord goes up in the flames and ascends to heaven, right there. Boom. Into heaven. Immediately, Manoah's like, wait, 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 wait. This was not a normal angel of the Lord. This was God himself. We're going to die. That's why he was so sure he was going to die. Verse 22. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. So this is known as a Christophany. Okay, It only happens a couple times in scriptures. Um, One of the times is when Jacob wrestles an angel, which isn't actually an angel, it's God. But a Christophany is a pre-incarnate, so before Christ, appearance of Christ. Okay? Um, they're very interesting. Uh, lots of people have spent their whole lives studying Christophanies, and, and so this is one of the times. Um, and it bodes well for Samson's life, that there are great things ahead of him. Um, so the chapter ends with, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him Well. He was in Manoah Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. So 
Zorah and Eshtal are southwest of Jerusalem. So he's living kind of between Gaza and Jerusalem, right in between where the, um, where the Philistines are. Um, so as we, as we look into his adult life, um, he goes to a Philistine town, the town of Timnah. And while he's there, he sees a, um, a beautiful woman. And this is kind of the start of a pattern in his life that makes things not so good. Um, he sees a beautiful woman. And he comes to his dad and, uh, and says, Dad, I saw a beautiful Philistine woman, and I want you to go get her for me right now. Right now. And his dad answers with, Isn't there an acceptable woman, this is verse 3 of chapter 14, among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to, a wife, to get a wife? Um, I, I feel like that's a reasonable assumption from him. Like, can you not, like, marry the enemy? That'd be great. Like, anyone else. Anyone else. Um, but instead, his answer is, he demands it. He says, no, I want that woman. So they go to Timnah, which is, again, more south. And on the way, <clears throat> Samson's kind of walking by himself, and he gets attacked by a young lion. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he kills the young lion right there with his bare hands. There's, there's his first act of uh, supermanness, I guess. But um, So he, he kills the lion, <clears throat> leaves it there, goes to Timnah. The families get the arrangements for the marriage. They're going to come back in a couple of weeks, so they head back to Zora. On the way back, when they come back for the wedding, <clears throat> um, Samson walks off the path, and he sees the carcass of the lion. Um, remember what the second rule from... Um, from being a Nazarite is, no, touching no unclean things. He goes to the lion, and there's a beehive in it. So he pulls the honey out, he pulls the beehive out, touching the lion, brings it to his parents, lets them eat it, which, you know, is, is a great thing. Yeah, no, I found this cookie somewhere. It's all fine. <laughs> right? Like, who would want that? It's like it's honey from a dead lion. But he gives it to them. They eat it. They show up for the wedding, and uh, when he gets there, the, his father, or his to-be father-in-law, has set it up so he has 30 companions, 30 men from the Philistines that are supposed to go with him through, through this whole week of marriage. And so they decide to make a little bet. He has a nice riddle for them. <clears throat> so this is verse 14. Um, or, well, I'll start in 13. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. So the bet is... 30 full changes of clothes. So it says 30 linen outer garments and 30 linen inner garments. So 30 full changes of clothes. This is pants, shoes, socks. This is the whole, whole bit. Okay? Expensive, right? So they make the bet. Here's the riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. That's, that's a fun riddle, right? They can't get it. They can't figure it out. So being the upstanding young men that they are, they go to his wife and say, hey, um, we really need to know what that riddle is, and if you don't tell us, we're going to lock your whole family in your house and burn it down with you in it. Right? Nice things. Nice things. Um, and so she, being threatened, goes to him and says, um, why do you hate me? Why do you not love me since you're not telling me what, <laughs> what the riddle is, what the answer to this riddle is? So he tells her. He gives in comes back 
the men, the men, of course, have the answer to the riddle. Tell Samson. Samson gets angry, goes off to Ashtalon, which is another city, and uh, kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, and gives them to their buddies. Okay? Yes, a, a measured response, right? But it's interesting when, when he first says to go to Timnah, there's a little commentary that the, that the author has. All right, so this is, um, this is, uh, where am I thinking? Um, this is verse 4. Verse 4. Um, so this is just after he demands to a wife. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at the time they were ruling over Israel. So this is an Old Testament historical narrative, right? <clears throat> Old Testament hor- historical narratives don't have a lot of commentary in them at all. But when there is commentary, it points to a bigger picture. It's the author telling you, wait, wait, there's something more going on here. So we're going to talk a little bit about sovereignty, the sovereignty of God later. But that's really what's going on here is God has a plan for his life. Um, and that's why he was going to Timnah. Let's, let's continue. So he goes, he goes, after he goes to Ashtalon and gets all the, all the people, he run, or gets all the clothes, he runs back to, um, he runs back to Zora and he lives there until the fall. So he was probably married in the spring. It says that he returns to Timnah at the harvest time, so in the fall. He shows up and he meets his father-in-law and he's like, hey, I'd like to see my wife, right? It seems, it seems like a reasonable request since he's, you know, married to her, right? And uh, his father-in-law says, uh, no, you can't come in. He's like, what? why not? Why can't I see my wife? Well, you, you can't come in. But I have her sister here. Do you want to marry her instead? He had, uh, he had given his wife away to another. So he had annulled the, the uh, marriage and continued on. So uh, he got angry again. And uh, killed a bunch more people. <clears throat> and then he leaves. Uh, the Philistines are like, well, who's responsible for this? Well, it's Samson. So they take his kind of ex-father-in-law, kind of, um, and her, his whole family and lock them in the house and burn it down. Again, gr- great things, great people. Um, so as his life continues, he goes through different cities. He always ends up somehow in Philistine cities. I don't really know why. It doesn't seem like a great idea. But um, So he's in Timnah. Then he's in um, Gaza. At Gaza, he sees a young harlot, a prostitute, and he's, he wants to be with her. So he spends the night. The Philistines know he's there, so they, they uh, plan a set a trap for him. They lock the city gates. He wakes up about midnight, gets out, walks through the gates, tears them off the hinges, and sets them on the, on the uh, hill outside. Just leaves them there. Yeah, you're not safe from me. You can't trap me. I don't know what your problem is. Um, after that, he's hunted down by an army, and he's in, this, he's in the wilderness. And he's <clears throat> the Philistines end up sending Jews to him, 3,000 Jews. And the Jews are like, what are you doing, man? Like, these guys are ruling over us. They've ruled over us for over 20 years. And what are you doing? They're so cowed by, by um, being occupied that they don't, they don't even try to, like, help him out. Instead, they're like, hey, 
we promise we won't kill you, but we're going to bind you with new ropes, and we're going to take you back to the Philistines. So he does. He lets them do that. He gets back there. And this is where he gets probably his most famous act. Um, He breaks the ropes, finds a fresh donkey's jawbone, and he kills a thousand of them right there. After that, he has this little boastful song that he sings, um, which is in chapter uh, 15. Not missing a page. There it is. Um, where is it? 16. Nope, it's 15. Oh, 15, 16. There we go. Um, then, the Samson, then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone I have killed a thousand men. Which is, you know, a great, nice, boastful song about what he did, except that right after that he's like, I'm super thirsty, I'm about to die. God, why are you letting this happen to me? Um, you know, not, not quite as boastful. And uh, so God actually gives him water out of a rock, and he drinks it. After this, this is the final chapter of his life, he ends up with a woman named Delilah, um, which lots of you, I'm sure, have heard of Delilah. And Delilah is from around where he's from. It says that she's from the valley of Sorek, which is right near Zora. And um, he's staying with her. And then five Philistine lords approach her and say, Hey, we each will give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you betray Samson. Find the secret of his strength. Which, as you can tell, he's already broken two of his rules, right? Number one, he touched that touched that lion. And then the second one was he went to the wedding. It doesn't say that he didn't drink wine there, but at weddings, that was the central part of it, was drinking wine. Um, So he's already broken two of his rules. He's only got one rule left, right? He still hasn't cut his hair, um, which he, at the time, he had seven braids, which I want to know how long they were, because they just have to be just really long. But um, he, so Delilah agrees for the 5,500 pieces of silver, she will betray Samson. So she goes to Samson and says, hey, why don't you trust me with your secret? Um, which anyone coming to you and saying, hey, why don't you trust me with your secret and you have a really bad secret, I'm pretty sure you can't trust them. Just saying. Just to make that very clear. But um, so Samson's like, well, okay, if you bind me with new ropes, my strength will leave me and I'll be as, as docile as a lamb. So she binds him with new ropes while he's sleeping and says, Arise, arise, the Philistines are here, which he wakes up with new ropes on him. He, I, don't, I don't know what he's thinking. Like, oh, this just happened, right? No, but he, he tears the ropes off, kills the Philistines, doesn't work. So then he, she comes to him again. She's like, you must hate me. Why, why are you doing this? Why aren't you trusting me with your secret? Which, again, is like, why would you trust her at all after that? But he's like, well, if you put my hair in a, in a weaver's loom, I will lose all my strength so he goes to sleep she does it again she yells oh the philistines are here he wakes up hairs in a weaver's loom again what is he thinking like who else did this but you right gets up kills the philistines doesn't work out so finally she nags and nags and nags and he says okay if you cut my hair my strength will leave me and i'll be docile as a lamb So she does. She cuts his hair. His hair. Philistines come. He's weak. Can't do anything. The Lord had left him. So they take him. They move him to Gaza. And um, on their way to Gaza, they, they take out his eyes. So he's blind. He has no eyes anymore. 
and they put him to a, uh, a grindstone. So he's pretty much a, a pack animal from here on out. But he, the end of his life is, is very interesting. And this is where there's a little bit of question. Um, some commentators say this is his redemption, and some commentators say this is just his life continuing. Um, but Samson is in the temple at Gaza. There's a, a big party. There's 3,000 people attending. And he asks to be put in, in between the two, um, the two pillars. And he prays this to God. Verse 28 of chapter 16. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. And the chapter ends saying that his brothers and his family came and took his body from Gaza and buried him, and he was judged for 20 years. So the question is, is that final act, is that an act of trust and repentance, or is that an act of revenge and desperation? Um, I honestly don't know. I end up kind of going back to the um, revenge and desperation because he asks directly for revenge rather than for justice. But that's, that's where I end up. Um, a couple of applications from his life that I want to I pull out a little bit. Samson, his entire life, relies pretty much on himself. Every single time he does something, he's like, yeah, I got this. I can do this. But the thing is that every time that he does something amazing, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It wasn't him that was doing it. It was God. Um, so my question for you is, what are you relying on? Lots of times it's really easy to rely on ourselves. But the reality is that we, we have to have someone behind us, and that has to be God. Number two, are your habits honoring God? When we look at Samson's life over and over again, he ends up somehow in a Philistine city looking at a beautiful woman. I think there's a problem there. Why are you in Philistine cities? Why are you in the place where you call enemies? Part of it, I think, is that he no longer feared. He just believed that he was, he was better than that. But the reality is that our habits have to be honoring God. Are our habits honoring God? Um, two Saturdays ago was the Parents' Summit, which we simulcasted here. And one of the speakers was a guy named Justin Early. And Justin's entire talk was um, based on the statement, the single statement, our habits define who our children become. Okay? Um, if you get a chance, check out his book. It's, it's really good about habits. But I think about in my life, are my habits honoring God? Am I ending up, ending up in places that I should be, looking at things I should be, playing things I should be, listening to things I should be, doing things I should be? <clears throat> Samson's life, he relied on himself and he did what he wanted to do. 
the key verse for the entire book of Judges at the end of the book. It's 2516, I believe. Um, it, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Samson, who was a judge, was no different. He broke every single one of his rules that the Nazarites gave him. So what, what are your habits doing? Are they honoring God or are they honoring yourself? And finally, um, God's sovereignty is greater than our sin in any situation. Even though that Samson broke every single one of his rules, pretty much lived his life for himself, God's plan was furthered because of it. So that also means that God can use whoever God wants to use. Some of us here, lots of times we get home and we think about, wow, I wasn't a good Christian. I didn't do that well. I didn't do that right. Why would God want to use me? But the reality is that God wants to use all of us, and he can use all of us, even if we aren't the best Christians. So the question, is Samson a hero? He did some amazing things, but did he follow a moral code at all? I think his biggest code was, how can I kill more Philistines? And is there a pretty lady there? That's pretty much all he cared about. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together, Lord. We thank you for your word and the lessons that we can learn from it. We ask that you bless us this week as we strive to honor you with what we do and help us to capitalize on the fact that you are in control. We think of Pastor Scott as he's not here. Um, We ask that you bless him in his travels and give him a good vacation. Um, We ask that you bring him back safe, sound, and well-rested. We love you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen.